0: Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom. You may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Annihilation, directed by Alex Garland. Thomas, I think you love this film more than I do. (laughs) I think you, you said you've seen it like five times, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Why do you want to talk about Annihilation? Why do you love it? Yeah,
1: I love this movie because I think it captures a, a feeling, an idea that not a lot of films touch on. It's a kind of sci-fi that I find really fascinating. It's an exploration of the alien in a way that I, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. It's not a perfect movie. There's, there's flaws and issues with it that I recognize and, and that I can see why it doesn't grab everybody. But the first time I watched this in theaters, it was like, I won't spoil anything yet, but you get into the the third act and kind of the ending. And I was like, oh, it just like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I felt something, experienced something, identified with something in that that I had never seen really in any other movie. I think there's some movies that try to get to the same place, but I hadn't felt it in the same way I felt it from this movie. So, yeah, I watched it like three times while it was in theaters and then I've seen it a couple of times since then. Oh, wow. I'm a big fan. I think there's a lot that's interesting here. Um, even in its imperfections. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to talk about it. just, just for the record, I really like it too, but for me, there's like for everything that it does really well, there's
0: something that it either goes too far or not far enough so every time my enthusiasm rises it's brought (laughs) down like almost immediately also I didn't get to see it in theater I think that it never actually was in the theater I think it was sold directly to Netflix where I was at and so that's how I saw it the first time I specifically remember I watched it with some friends who weren't really into films or at least not those types of films and so that sort of shaped the experience or at least my first time viewing of the movie a little bit because there were some moments where something serious would happen and they would be like laughing or not taking it like all too seriously. So I didn't see it again after that until just before recording this podcast. So um, I've only seen it twice. I did like it a lot more the second time, but the second time for me also highlighted uh, some shortcomings that I'm sure we'll get into. But overall, yeah, I still think it's a really interesting film, at least to talk about. Like it has some, it's definitely the kind of science fiction movies that, or the science fiction story that I would always encourage filmmakers to try and make or to try and aspire to. And I was a big fan of Alex Garland's uh, previous film, Ex Machina. Yes. Which I think that one is probably one of my favorites so far as sci-fi films of the last like 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's also maybe why I, my expectations for Annihilation were like a bit higher. Like I'm, yeah. I'm judging it extra harshly because I was expecting like ex machina levels of
1: greatness. Right. Ex machina is a much more quote unquote perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a much more seamless, like piece of filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit more like philosophically, I think consistent and then also yeah, it's just more consistent across the board. So
0: yeah, I think it's just it's it's smaller, but also it, it still manages to tackle some big themes. But it's only logical that a filmmaker would want to go like, Okay, now I've done this relatively small science fiction film, yeah. now I want to step it up and now I wanna tackle some bigger themes and do these crazy things where it obviously had a much Bigger budget, I assume, for this film. But yeah, that's also where some of my issues come in. Like yeah. when you go bigger, you also, it's, it, it, it doesn't feel as perfectly fitting together as uh, yeah. Hex Machina. But what would you say like from the beginning, like the story begins with, just to basically summarize the concept, there's this yeah. alien entity or like phenomenon that crashed Somewhere onto Earth, I'm not sure exactly where it takes place. Uh, Area X, it is called.
1: They call it Area X. They never specify a specific like geography, mm-hmm. but I know the book, which is not the movie, so it doesn't really mm-hmm. have too much bearing. But the book was inspired by like Northern Florida uh, in the U.S. Mm. and kind of the landscape there. The writer Jeff Vandermeer did a lot of like hiking. In that area, and the landscape kind of vaguely fits with that, so it's somewhere in sort of the like southern coastal, like
0: semi subtropical with yeah. gators and uh, right swamp ish lands. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, there's this. Alien force, it crashes into the earth and it creates what they call the shimmer, which is this looks like a, a. At first, I thought it looks like a soap bubble. Yeah, it does, kind of. Like it has that weirdness to it, or like visually, and it's this zone that's slowly expanding, and everything that goes into it doesn't come out, and so obviously quarantined. At the point where we come into the story, they've sent in one military team, of which one soldier comes back. He is uh, dead Kane, played by Oscar Isaac. And we actually see the story from the perspective of his wife, played by Natalie Portman. Her character is called Lena, who thinks her husband is dead because he had been missing for like a year and then he suddenly returns. But he's something that happened to him in The Shimmer has made him ill or it looks like he's dying because of what happened to him in the Shimmer. And so now Lena, she goes into the Shimmer as well with a team of scientists, and all of which have their own motivations, which we'll get into. But uh, for her, at least, her mission, as I understood it, is that she wants to find something there or find some understanding or some way to help her husband who is dying on the outside by going inside and finding what it is and perhaps some way to defeat it or... Uh, yeah, reverse whatever damage that was done to him.
1: That's pretty much the setup. They end up yeah. going into the Shimmer and then that's like, that's Act 1 and then most of the film kind of takes place like within Area X and once they get in there things get really strange. Uh, it, kind of, it kind of has a little bit of like a stalker format to it where they go into this zone and inside the zone things are very, very bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it starts with them going inside and Immediately they have like, uh, they wake up and it looks like they've been there for a couple of days, but they don't remember anything. They don't know where they are. They don't know, none of them remembered how they got there or, which is kind of convenient from like a storytelling perspective. Like suddenly they are lost in the shimmer. They are not, because mm-hmm. uh, they walk right in, but, you know, technically you could say, oh, and then they could walk right out. But of course, this is the case that makes it more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Along the way they encounter all these transformations or weird things they see flowers sprouting out of the same plant like different flowers that should not come out of the same roots and they see like weird deformed animals and obviously later on they themselves they start transforming too it's all transforming in some way or another and that's kind of the point of the shimmer I think ultimately is that it's or at least like on its most explicit level, is that it refracts everything like down to a genetic level and it sort of crosses everything together. Like it all becomes muddled together. I'm not sure exactly how to articulate it, but everything becomes everything else and it becomes divided and rebuilt and basically just aimless transformation, it looks like.
1: Yeah, the boundaries between objects and things become very much more fluid, like some things seem Mm -hmm. to like bleed into each other. And then things are also kind of disintegrating. And one of the things I like about the movie is how that is all depicted as very simultaneously being kind of like beautiful and horrifying. Mm -hmm. Like there's this constant play in the movie between the horror elements and sort of the beauty of the environment is very like the colors are very rich and deep and yeah. even the light is like refracting through the sky it's kind of shifting between this space and as you get towards the end sort of the horror and the beauty are kind of become one in the same in a sense yeah but that's a concept that this film plays with really well that i haven't seen explored mm-hmm. at least in sci-fi too extensively
0: yeah, it, it did remind me of the horror film *Midsummer*, mm-hmm. which came out later than yes. *Annihilation*, but also had this very bright take on still a like a, a horror story. Yeah, but for me, that's I really liked that about *Annihilation*. It gave it a specific like visual style. It felt a bit trippy, like all of the time. But for me, it also was like at some points it felt for me like that was also what. Um, it was a bit of a disadvantage for the certain elements. For me, at least, the best part about sci-fi is that it triggers your imagination like you... Yes, yeah. It suggests at something beyond the screen or like something that's hidden or like something that you cannot understand or that you have to... Yeah, that has to engage your own visualization or imagination. And when you have a film that's so bright, like there's no... You you can't really hide like stuff in the shadows, and yeah. for me, like the best stuff comes from imagining what's in the shadows most of the time. Yeah. So now when you have these crazy freakish animals, like some of them were like more horror, like the bear and the crocodile, but there's also more cutesy ones, the the deers that at some point uh, hop around. Then it felt a little bit too. CGI ish for me, like Mm -hmm. it felt a bit too computer generated, for which um, it's easier to cover up when you don't have a film that's all bright sunlight, which for me, like, detracted a little bit from the power of the. The, the supposed uh, mystery of that place when it just felt like a little bit too much like, yeah oh, this is clearly like a set design or this is a computer, computer generated image. And I thought it relied a little bit too much on spectacle also in that sense, especially towards the end, there's the beach with the crystals, right. crystal trees or something that I felt like it didn't really add too much for me like um, especially when I watched it on at home on a smaller screen maybe in the movie theater it would have left a better impression but there were a couple of times where I thought it would have been better if they had held back a little and suggested at certain things things, instead of like showing them off like in full bright colors with computer
1: generated images
0: but yeah I'm not sure if that's something that bothered you as well or what's your take on it?
1: I think, I mean, I definitely, I definitely, some of the CGI is not super great. I think the most distracting it is for me is like the second half of kind of the final sequence in the lighthouse with the, um, mm. kind of when the alien quote unquote is actually embodied and they're just like glossy kind of latexy looking figure. That figure to me like mm-hmm. is a little bit, um, it's hard not to just see that as kind of like a CGI, mm. you know, image. I was wondering actually, if that was like a person in
0: like a GIMP suit or that it was a completely CGI rendering of a person.
1: It is a person. Um, it was played by Sonoya, uh, Mizuno, I think is her name. She plays the other robot in Ex Machina. Um,
0: Oh yeah. She also has the lead in the uh, devs, the the show that uh, Garland made. Yeah. yeah,
1: so she has a, a background in dance, I think, um, and she played the mm. the double. But then I think there's like, you know, there's obviously a CG uh, layer on top of that. I mean, there's a lot of things that work really well for me. The bear in this movie is one of the most interesting and like viscerally scary mm-hmm. Or unsettling like images that I've seen created. Yeah, I think they did some of that practice. I think that's one instance where they actually did some stuff practically.
0: Yeah, I can imagine they made like the head for some close-ups. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so yeah, that there's stuff where I think it it is working really effectively. I really like the first half of the lighthouse sequence where she's like down in the pit. And then there's this, like, Mm -hmm. Mandelbrot, like, three-dimensional fractal, like, rotating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that stuff. He's leaning very heavily on... Kind of my pet theory for this movie is that it is sort of, in part, like, a a metaphor about psychedelic experience. Mm, Yeah. Alex Garland talks about how he kind of, like, was thinking about the movie as a movement from, like, suburbia into psychedelia. And so as... Mm -hmm. As they progress into the shimmer like their their experiences kind of like disintegrating and the world around them is like coming apart in these in these crazy ways yeah yeah so he leans very heavily on sort of like imagery that's reminiscent of like psychedelic artwork and depictions of psychedelic experience and stuff and that gets more and more intense as the movie goes on so some of that stuff i find very interesting but yeah uh, to your point i think The two biggest weaknesses for me in this movie are what you just mentioned, where there's some just like over reliance on actually just showing Mm -hmm. what's happening instead of trying to allude to something. And then the other thing that I think he could have done a stronger job of was actually embodying the experiential like refraction that's happening in the shimmer. I've read the book. The book is actually much, much stranger even than the movie. The movie Mm -hmm. feels like the book is very incoherent. In some places, like narratively, it's it's kind of experimental. But you can sense that like he's bringing to screen this idea that like these characters are losing their minds a little bit like while they're in this mm-hmm. space. They're not thinking rationally. We kind of get that depicted. Like Josie talks about how she feels like she's going crazy. They talk at the beginning about how like they don't know where they are or they don't remember time very well. Um, we see like some of the insanity that, They find a videotape of previous people who were in there and they see some of the insanity that maybe that was going on there. But he doesn't do anything that lets us kind of like get into that experience subjectively, like unlike something like Stalker or maybe some other films.
0: Like Charlie Kaufman style. Right. uh, Weirdness. Yeah.
1: We never we never actually get this feeling of like, oh, the world that they're in is kind of breaking
0: it's like we're outside the shimmer looking in, like we're Yes. We still have the same point of view right throughout the film. Like yeah. Yeah.
1: We only know that they're kind of losing their minds because they say it or we see their actions that are that are irrational or sort of insane. So that's something I wish he he maybe had done a little bit more to kind of bring that sense of like, you know, how things are are happening within the shimmer.
0: Mm-hmm. Going back to your the first point about the imagery and especially also um, the imagery towards the end, um, because I was, that for me was like a great signifier of why the CGI bothered me so much because, and which also jumps into the thematic question of the film. At the end, as you said, she goes down into the lighthouse and then uh, at first she encounters Ventress, another character. Uh, that's actually yes. where I got like the biggest accidental laugh out loud moment. Right, from right. The audience i was with when i first watched it (laughs) yeah like when she suddenly explodes into this burst of light and suddenly all this weird stuff is shooting out of her mouth and yeah yeah that was just like my friends they were just laughing out loud it kind of ruined the moment but even on second viewing like i still think it's
1: it's 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 a little bit of an awkward wonky kind of yeah
0: yeah it feels a bit out of place and takes away like it builds up suspense and then it goes like so over the top yeah yeah but anyways then we get the the the, the trippy psychedelic imagery but that actually goes into the thematic point i think of the shimmer is that it's trying to show something that we cannot understand as human beings it's trying to communicate the incomprehensible and that's Also kind of why I was disappointed with the way it was shown, because it clearly felt like an artist's rendition of The Incomprehensible. Like, look at how trippy and weird this looks. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. Your mind cannot even comprehend, like, how (laughs) strange this is. But but it does it, like, a bit too confidently. Like, I wish it would have held back a little bit or, like, hid it a little bit in the shadows. Yeah. I think that you mentioned Stalker. Um, I think that film is actually a much more interesting film that... Pretty much does the same thing. It has a a group of men instead of women as in Annihilation, but it has a group of people going into this weird alien place. And then it still shows like weird landscapes, but it's all practical. And in the end, it's only hinted at, but it's ultimately we only see the incomprehensible through the reaction of what effect it has on the characters. That's our only glimpse at it. So yeah, that's why I felt it, it relies a bit too much on the spectacle of it all to really have an effective thematic yeah. exploration yeah. into what the incomprehensible means to us. And I guess that's my worse uh, by the second point you mentioned that it's the filmmaking itself doesn't really let us experience any real strangeness, except for what the characters like. We have to kind of take their word for it or take like some vision, some of the, the visual elements. I must say the, the scene where they reach, uh, at some point, in, somewhere in the middle, they reach the, like an old swimming pool or like an old station where the former group, where Elena's husband, Kane was in, they were there and they left a videotape that showed them cutting open one of the stomachs yeah. of one of the soldiers and it showed their intestines like swimming around. And yeah. that to me was one of the more, like one of the more disturbing images in the film.
1: That whole sequence speaks to the point you were making earlier about kind of hiding things more in the shadows because that Mm -hmm. sequence, at least when they're watching the video, does that a little bit where you just, I mean, you do eventually see like actual really grotesque stuff in the stomach, but it's kind of like it's shaky cam. They're watching it, Mm -hmm. you're seeing it from their perspective. And then I think the way that whole sequence is set up where they begin to realize that they're in that location and go over to it is very suspenseful. But anyway, you were continuing to make a point.
0: Just about, I, I think also to add to that scene is that I like how it, it, it has a mini climax where they do find the soldier's body yeah. in this in the, in the place where he was cut open. And then he was suddenly like, there was like a fungus uh, sort of it looked like or like coral reef almost. Like it yeah. uh, expanded out of his body over the walls. And, and that actually I found to be really effective. Like those were the combination of like hidden uh, CGI effects with the cut open stomach in the shaky footage, and then what looked, at least to me, looked like just practical set design with the the wall and just that whole that whole image of the the body incorporated into its environment. That to me was really one of the better moments in the in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, um, let's go back a little bit to really to dive into the, the, the thematics and the sort of philosophy of it all, because we mentioned, or at least the attempt to depict the incomprehensible and to show something that humans can't fully understand. But what did you see going in as the primary like thematic conflict or the main themes of the movie?
1: This is another one of the things where this movie is very interesting but flawed in that like I think there's a scattershot of a lot of fascinating ideas that are being explored here, but I don't know how cohesively like it ends up landing on any of them specifically. So I've already talked about kind of just the depiction of the experience of encountering the incomprehensible is very fascinating to me, Mm -hmm. and I think that it does a better job of showing like, what the experience might be like for the for the character than it does actually, like, showing the incomprehensible. So, like, we maybe don't get a thorough representation of, like, what the incomprehensible is within the film. But I think, like, there's something d- depicted in, like, for Lena specifically, the, the protagonist, her encounter with, like, this is not just terrifying, but also, like, overwhelming, beautiful, and almost, like, awe-inspiring all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's a specific kind of experience that I don't think gets depicted a lot. But that's not really a theme in and of itself. That's just kind of like an emotion that's being depicted or a type of sensation or experience that's being depicted that is, I think, kind of rare. For movies, mm-hmm. so I love to see people trying to do that, even when they're not quite getting there. There's some kind of weird through line between like what this movie is trying to do, and like 2001: A Space Odyssey, and even like maybe some parts of Tree of Life or something like that. And it's like they're all doing it in different ways, but they're getting at trying to get at this like more mystical like type of encounter or experience. So I find that fascinating in terms of the themes that it's exploring. I think the the strongest one and the most central is this idea of like self destruction or self-sabotage and Mm -hmm. there's kind of this implicit theme of like this alien creature or you can't even really call it that it's something alien and that's another thing i like about it Mm -hmm. is that it's conceptualizing alienness as something like truly foreign to us like that we can't wrap our heads around it it doesn't have a human form or human psychology?
0: Yeah, that's one of the big questions, too. Like, it doesn't seem motivated to do anything. Like, right. the, a lot of the characters are searching for, like, a reason for why it's doing what it's doing, and yes, they can't really seem to pin down, like, any definitive answer to that.
1: Yeah. So I like that as well. Like, I think oftentimes the way that we depict aliens when we conceptualize them in like sci fi is pretty boring, where it's just like it's just us basically, but from another planet, you know, and they might have a different Mm -hmm. slightly different body, but it's basically human. So I'm fascinated by things that are like it's an alien and Mm it really is an alien like we don't. It's some kind of life form that we have no conception of. But it does seem to be like to some degree, like absorbing and trying to replicate and mutate the like what is sent into it mm-hmm. so there's this idea of like they're sending people in they're sending in like soldiers military personnel at first and because it's this strange mission you don't know if you're going to return from it they're sending in a lot of people who are like willing to go in and maybe not come back and we we kind of learn this about all the characters that go in with lena that they each have sort of like some reason that they you know are kind of self-destructing or are willing to just like let go of their life it's fascinating to think about how if the shimmer if whatever the shimmer is is something that's like incorporating elements of the bodies and the biology and the consciousnesses that it's coming to contact mm-hmm. with it's alluded that like the bear absorbs Part of ventress
0: the shepherds uh, or
1: shepherd yeah
0: shepherd's character yeah she's the one who gets yeah but you the lena too she gets the tattoo that's initially on the arm of one of the other ones right it is suggested that they take over elements of each other or in some way yeah consume each other almost at least literally with the bear but yeah
1: so i i really like this idea that like the shimmer is kind of absorbing this self-destructive like or maybe possibly these elements into itself. And then I think most explicitly at the end, like that's how, and they kind of visualize that in a way, but that's how Lena is, you know, able to kind of destroy it in a sense is by like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's self-destructing. She infects it with her own self-destruction
0: or self-destructiveness. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning of the film, it's also connected to or associated with the, Biology of cells and how, yes, especially also malignant cells and tumors. Which I th- at first I thought it was like a metaphor for cancer in a way. But if that were the case, I was a little bit disappointed. That it was an alien, right? Because uh, an alien is something external, whereas some of the other themes suggest like the. The strangeness of having mutations from within. Yeah. When I watched it the second time, that's something that stood out for me. It's the focus on, at least from Lena's perspective, her basic like philosophy is that, at least as she explicitly states in one conversation with Kane, is that she sees transformation as possibly bad. Like you have cells divide and they could theoretically do this infinitely and that would make you immortal but at some point like corrupted cells or like tumor cells they would appear and they would eventually kill us or like break us down and she sees that as a either a fault in nature like or a fault in god's design so either way she sees yeah she sees a mistake in the world and that's also reflected later on when she sees the um, i think the 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 fungus or the flowers for the first time she says like oh it's malignant or uh, it's it's like a tumor yeah and so so she sees the transformation that's happening as something that's naturally a corrupting force as and not necessarily as a more neutral transformative one yeah whereas Cain actually had the opposite view Uh, he saw he says like oh god doesn't make mistakes and then Lena corrected him, but uh, that she thought that he did. And I thought that was an interesting, at least for her, like an interesting character-defining quality that obviously plays into the the story as a whole because then she meets these other characters. I actually had to write down what each of them did, but uh, Lena is the biologist. She was the one who's focused on the cells and cell growth and development. We have Josie, who was the physicist. She is the one who was explained uh, (laughs) that this funny exposition scene in the can in the the canoes where they where one of the characters i think Shepard would just lay out like oh she's uh, actually like this and she's actually like this right yeah (laughs) and so she she was apparently one who a person who self-harmed herself not with a suicide intention but as the other character remarked like it was to feel alive and she's also the one who ends up embracing the yeah the Shimmer or the transformation that's happening to her. Towards the end, she says like, Ventress wants to face it, you want to fight it. To Lina, that is. Um, But she says, I don't think I want either of those things. And then she kind of walks off and is never seen again. Or It's suggested that she turns into like a plant or like she becomes part of the organism that is now the world inside the Shimmer. Yeah. Then we have Anya, the paramedic, who was a recovering addict. We have Shepard, the geomorphologist. Didn't know what that was. It has to do with magnetic fields, apparently, who was also a grieving mother. And then there's Ventress, the psychologist, who that's the one who wanted to face the Shimmer. And she, as it turns out later, is terminally ill with cancer. I thought it was interesting that all of these characters had a certain relation to self-destruction in some way or another. And it's interesting that Lena, I think, She also has it in the sense that while she believes that the self-destruction is a mistake and that theoretically you could prevent cells from dying and live forever, it's also shown that she has had an affair with another man. So at first I didn't really understand what the point of that whole plot element was, but then I thought, oh, it kind of fits into that whole idea that even though if even if she would be successful in somehow becoming immortal, then she would still be self-destructive in like other elements of her life There, I'm not sure, but I think the film wants to suggest that in some way or another, we are all engaged in some form of self-destruction. I wrote down one quote from Ventress who said, I think you're confusing suicide with self-destruction. Almost none of us commit suicide and almost all of us self-destruct. In some way, in some part of our lives, we drink or we smoke, we destabilize the good job and a happy marriage. But these aren't decisions, they are impulses. In fact, you're probably better equipped to explain this than I am. She directed this towards Lena. Because then she says, oh, you're a biologist. Isn't the self-destruction coded into us, programmed into each cell? Which I guess brings it back around to the idea that cells are eventually destructive and that at some point, I think we are going to have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. To me, at least, that's the main journey of her character throughout the film is learning to embrace life or at least her life as a transformative or like an inherently transformative thing that you cannot really lock into place that's not really solid but more fluid as you see literally with the insides of the character and I think at some point also one other character mentions that or just generally there's the idea that the more you zoom into onto your own body the more it starts becoming like you start to see it's not like you look at your arm and it's not really this solid thing but it's actually cells and micro things that are continuously like moving around and changing and there's nothing really solid that you can hold on to and that that i thought was her main journey throughout the film learning to embrace that yeah transformative aspect of nature and the world she lives in i'm not sure what your take was on all that
1: no i think that's a good summary of of what the film is doing in its best sense. I I really like that it it raises a lot of questions and then it kind of poses an answer in terms of like each character just has to bravely face Mm -hmm. the reality of the environment they're in, in the way that they can. Lena is like the one that comes out alive, I guess, but it doesn't pose a concrete answer of here's what's going on here's the solution here's how you stop it or like even in destroying the shimmer you know there's not there's not this sense of like oh that's over or suggested in the end that maybe even it's living on in lena and kane mm-hmm. i like that it's presenting this idea of having to embrace the circumstances despite not understanding it despite not knowing it knowing and having to move through that because i think that's an interesting story about some of what we encounter in life where there's circumstances, there's instances in our life, there's problems, you know, that we'll encounter or that we'll face that we can try to understand that will be destabilizing. But that like, ultimately, like, we can't find an answer for like, why do I have cancer? Like, even if you look at a biological level and found the like, biological explanation for that, it still doesn't explain to you like, the deeper question there like why do I have mm-hmm. cancer or these things or why do I have these self-destructive tendencies like there's not an answer that you're going to find to that by like pointing your microscope at something
2: mm.
0: uh, yeah you're you're seeing it more as like a quest for meaning or like uh, trying to make sense of something
1: that's right seems random yeah yeah they're trying to wrap their heads around it mm-hmm they're trying to understand it. And ultimately, like, ultimately, they don't. Like, there's no mm-hmm. there's no answer that they come across. The arc for Lena is she does kind of make it out. Like, there's still a narrative climax there. She's able to face it. She's able to kind of fight it. And she's able to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not unscathed. Both of them
0: have transformed in the end. Like, she does embrace Cain again, her husband. Yes, I think the romantic interpretation was that they had a marriage that was falling apart and then they recognized or they acknowledged that they had both changed as persons and then they reconnected again in their new forms. Yeah, yeah. So to say.
1: One of the interesting things to me about this movie is I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like, is it actually, you know, is it a movie about some type of alien thing that lands on earth and then Lena goes in? And she destroys it. She saves Earth from this expanding shimmer. And she reunites with her husband, who she had cheated on. And like, there you go. That's the, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. We did it. Great. Or, you know, is there <laughs> this little, there's this little shimmer in their eyes at the end as they embrace and they the looks on their faces are kind of like, they don't look super happy. Or is, is the story like the alien life force. Or whatever it is hits Earth. It absorbs things around it. People go in. It collects a bunch of material, and it selects these two as sort of the Adam and Eve of its, you know, new creation. Mm. And it enters into them, and the form and the lighthouse and the Area X disappear. But then this is just a creation story of like for like whatever the alien is, and it continues <laughs> to live on through Cain and through Lena. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't think Alex Garland. I don't know if he has like a specific version in mind and there's other interpretations that I've heard from, from other people.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm just now thinking of like, maybe there's also a pessimistic romantic interpretation where they have both changed, but they still feel in the, in the end, the need that they have to stick together, even though they've both, they are both different and they don't look too happy about it. But Yeah. Yeah. I also thought of the philosophical question of the the ship of Theseus, I think it was called, where if you have a boat and then over the years you repair it and you come to the point where each original element is replaced, or uh, is it still the same ship as it was in the beginning? And I think that's also a question that you uh, you can ask it biologically. I right. think human cells, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that statement, but there's the the common story that your cells, all of your body's cells have changed like every seven years or so, I think. Yeah. So theoretically, like seven years ago, you were a completely different person, like biologically speaking, than you are today. I'm sure that's not exactly how it works, but, but it also kind of works like on a more social or a psychological level. Where the Shepherd character, for example, she mentions that she had a daughter who died, but then she said, like, oh, I had to do like two bereavements, um, she said. Like one for has to do with the loss of her little girl, yeah. and the other one was the loss of the person she was. Yeah. So yeah, that's also I think the more uh, the, the psychological layer of the story, like how do we as individuals deal with change like mentally and how does it change our relations to the to other people around us over time and yeah is it a good thing can it be a bad thing you know or both for me like that's my second probably my second main flaw with the film is that as you said it presents a lot of ideas and uh, it it opens the door to a lot of interpretations but it uh, i feel it doesn't really go too deep into like its subject material like, especially on the second viewing, like one thing that I realized that was bothering me is that the characters, because at first I thought like, oh, we have some interesting characters. Each of them have their own philosophy of their own or their own take on that's related to the theme. Like, so yeah. on paper, this sounds good, but then there was still something bothering me about it. Like I, I like the beginning of the film and I like the ending, but the middle part for me, that's the part that's lacking the most in terms of like excitement and meaningful exploration and then i realized i think it is because the characters don't really engage with each other like philosophically yeah yeah like i that's when i also thought back to stalker the tarkovsky film where you have only three characters but each of them have like a distinct philosophy but then the the main conflict of the story comes from them just kind of laying into each other like they really debate each other to the point to like each other's breaking points, and that—that that I think is something that I was probably missing most in this film. That you—you you present this character like, oh, I—you want this, you want that, I want this. I'm gonna do my thing. You do have fun with your thing, and there's not really no one is really challenged. I think in their respective viewpoint which also lacks or leads to like a lack of depth or like meaningful exploration of each of those viewpoints. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Besides Lena, we just get everybody's backstory as like exposition. That's just Mm -hmm. kind of dumped out there. And then like, instead of like you're saying, I I think instead of spending a lot of time discussing like the philosophical conflict, they spend a lot of time like talking about like what's happening or there's some like techno babble kind of explanations of the the biology of mm-hmm. oh dna's refracting and, and i think some of that stuff it's like you could do without that and you could spend a little bit more time with the characters on like how they're experiencing it or or what that conflict is there mm-hmm. yeah so i agree with you on that it's like as compelling a movie as i find it i think it does does a better job of just kind of like pumping a lot of interesting questions out there. And then, yeah. you know, not necessarily like following through on actually like exploring any of them as deeply as as it could, which stands kind of counter to like ex And I think one of the reasons that's so good is it like zeros in on like one specific question and then like really explores that question mm-hmm. very deeply. Yep. And instead here we have like three or four interesting like questions or ideas and none of them are like, mm-hmm. you know, Explored to the depth that yeah. he was able to before. Yeah,
0: because the the main conflict I think towards the middle of the film is actually coming from the character um, her, Anya, the, the paramedic. She's the one who grows like paranoid and yes, then kidnaps the other ones. Or but it, that even that it feels like I guess that she was a recovering addict that maybe she had some trust issues or paranoia issues or something like that. But yeah, it didn't feel like philosophically relevant that she would would be the main driving force of the conflict by just basically being freaked out by the surface level transformation and then seeing that as enough to capture all the other ones and be the main antagonistic force, at least for that segment of the story. Do you know if there's, because at the beginning they mentioned that uh, Lena she sits down with the other ladies for the or the other women for the first time. They introduce each other like this is the team, and then Lena says, "Oh, all women," and they're like, "Yeah." Did that mad- did the gender of it all matter? Do you think to the story or was that just a like an offhand observation?
1: I think I mean I think it's just an offhand thing. I want to say that's also. Uh, it's been a while since I read the book. I think that might just be the way it is in the mm. book too.
0: Yeah, I thought maybe because the the previous team was a all military you, men yeah. that now they figured like oh we go with scientists or right uh, female characters. But I wouldn't have thought about it, except for that, the film specifically makes the remark like oh it's all women. Yeah, but then it yeah it doesn't really come back later into it doesn't seem to have any carry any significance. Yeah, not that it has to, but right. it's just like if the If the film brings it up, like I am, I assume it is for a reason, right? right,
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Usually. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's largely incidental. Mm -hmm. It doesn't end up playing like a strong thematic role, at least that I have picked up on watching, watching the movie.
0: There's also the, it's a little bit awkward the way each character's fate plays out. Like some of them get to have like a thematically meaningful resolution, but then, for example, the shepherd, he's just the one who gets eaten by the bear unceremoniously. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think if, if I'm trying to think through all of like Josie, I think she walks off. The other thing is like, I don't necessarily fully understand the distinction between like Ventress and Lena in like facing something versus fighting it, I guess. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess Ventress doesn't. She goes to the same place and she's just like, you know.
0: Yeah. I think Ventress had accepted that she had cancer. She was going to die like this this malignant transformation inside her body was going to kill her. But she just wanted to see it. Like she literally wanted to look into its face and make her peace with it. I think.
1: I guess if there's a thematic resonance then with Shepherds, it's just that like she doesn't really get to choose her fate. She's the one who had lost her child right Mm -hmm. so it's like it's not something she really gets to choose in an attitude it's more just like something that just comes along Mm -hmm. and like happens to her in her life
0: yeah she feels Yeah, the randomness of her tragedy is reflected by the randomness of her death in the shimmer
1: i don't know if that if that's actually what's going on but that's the that's the best thematic interpretation i could give it i think feels like it fits
0: (laughs) And then Anya, she's the one who gets... She also dies a violent death by the bear, but it's framed differently. She's specifically the aggressor also.
1: Right, yeah. She kind of loses it to insanity Mm -hmm. is kind of the downfall there. Which I don't know... Mm -hmm. I don't know how well that's grounded. Like, that... That... Her... I mean, you made this point earlier about like she's the ends up being the main driver of the conflict, and it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. like it doesn't feel like that's established mm-hmm. and rooted in her character like from the beginning,
0: yeah, especially because she's a paramedic, like she's supposed to be one right a person who cares for others, but I yeah, she is mentioned as only as a recovering addict, yeah but i'm not sure how how that plays into like the, the psychology of that how that would play into certain character traits that would lead to yeah like things like paranoia or distrust or other forms of like uh, destructive behavior
1: well it's a it's a flawed but fascinating film i i love it just because I like a movie that's willing to just go full bore into some weird territory, and I think this is a movie that's willing to do that. Just the fact that it has like a 13, I think it's like 13 minute long sequence towards the end with like no dialogue, and there's just like really bizarre stuff happening, and that's kind of like the climax Mm -hmm. Yeah, is a maneuver that like, even if it doesn't completely land that maneuver entirely. That's something I wish mm-hmm. more filmmakers would attempt, a just sort of like communication through like image and experience. And I like the score through that last section quite a bit as well. Yeah, the score's great. But there are there are definitely some some shortcomings as well.
0: Yeah. And I like that the climax too is basically non-violent or at least right there's as much violence as that Lena herself brings into it. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. That's and something that's, that's very distinct from other sci-fi films or thriller or horror stories that have some sort of violence in their climax. Uh, even Ex Machina, for example, had like the what feels like almost the obligatory okay, now it's it's all going down. Like now it's uh, yeah, let's have at it. But this one, it feels more intellectual in a way. Or even yeah, it, it plays out. For all my complaints about the film's spectacle, I do think the climax is interesting in that it tries to do something different and that the climax itself is actually not like oh now we know they're gonna fight and we just have to watch the action but it's actually it keeps you i feel that's the point where i was engaged the most like where this strange creature turns up and then you don't understand what it's doing and lena doesn't either and then slowly you come to understand like oh it's copying her moves but then i guess it kind of resolves in violence anyways as now lena blows it up but it's uh, yeah it's it's a great sequence
1: that's one of the the several interesting ideas that's explored but not in a satisfyingly deep way that i think that we haven't talked about yet which is just like identity and the way that it there's this whole question of like which is it was it the shimmer seems to be like doubling and copying these people that enter in here or some of them we see two canes at one point and one of them destructs on camera and one doesn't. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it seems like we see footage of like two canes and one of them is destroyed by the fire. But that does that one obviously didn't destroy the shimmer. And so when she does it the second time, it's the alien double that's destroyed and that destroys the shimmer, which to me implies that like the cane that died the first time was maybe the real cane, quote unquote, and the cane that makes it out is actually like the shimmer cane or something. But then that idea isn't full. You know, they explore it thematically a little bit at the end. There's some lines about like, Mm -hmm. oh, are you the real cane? So there's these questions about like, what constitutes yourself or like, you know, who are you? And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we're changing into different people as we're transforming or as we're killing off maybe the self-destructive aspect of ourself or something like that. But those are all just ideas that are there that I can kind of think about relative to the story. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it actually presents me with any kind of like thesis or, you know, clear kind of deep exploration of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty unambiguous that it was the real Cain who committed suicide. Right. Yeah. In the Shimmer, probably because he he was someone who thought like, God doesn't make mistakes. He says that literally. Yeah. And he is now confronted with and who maybe knew of like the affair that Lena was having or he just lost complete sight of himself. I think that's also what he mentions at some point. I haven't written it down, but I feel like he had a total loss of self, like a sense of self. He didn't feel like he literally did not feel like a human being anymore, Yeah, which I guess is what happens when you're looking at your literal copy, which is indistinguishable from everything that (laughs) you are. I wish we would have had more of like. Oscar Isaac yes. interacting with himself, yeah. <laughs> because actually I thought that their dynamic seemed even more interesting than the one that Lena had with her double. She, hers plays out like quietly and without words and sh- uh, she destroys her double before it's fully formed. But Kane seems to have like built some sort of relationship with it almost like, yeah. where he's go, you go take care of the camera. I'm going to sit here and right. pop my grenade.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you want more of that kind of stuff, I'll throw a recommendation out to anybody who's listening to this who does really enjoy this movie. The book is the book is wild and has a lot more of that kind of like exploration of psychology. The book does not have any more solid answers than the movie.
0: And the book is a, it's a first part in a trilogy. Uh, I yes, saw. I haven't read
1: it. The whole trilogy is is bizarre. The the movie mainly takes place with the narrative of I believe it's the first book in in the trilogy. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, they spend a lot more time like around the lighthouse and kind of the weird like space that exists in there. And there's some very bizarre scenes and stuff. It's an interesting, it's a very, it's a very interesting adaptation because I think it like, it makes things, you would have to make it more concrete for film. And it, it does that. I don't know. It's yeah, it's an interesting adaptation, but anyway, this is not a discussion of the book.
0: I saw that Alice Garland said that he didn't reread the novel before he started writing the film, but he right. sort of tried to write the script based on how he, like, as a sort of dream, like he had about the novel. I'm not sure how, like, accurate it is. I'm, I'm guessing it makes some significant deviations from the original, but uh,
1: yeah. I think it's one of the most different adaptations I've I've ever seen. It is It is like that. It is just kind of like almost a different story that borrows a few characters and details and just sets it in the same location but uh, you couldn't you could that's kind of how i think you'd have to do it because you couldn't really um adapt the book to film i think Mm -hmm. uh in a in any kind of reasonable sense or you would if you did you'd have you'd have something that had some of the elements that we were talking about of being a lot more stalkerish and a lot more just like bizarre so
0: probably a lot longer too (laughs) then yeah (laughs) stalker takes like three hours i think but yeah, even though it's not my my favorite Alex Garland film, like I still prefer Ex Machina, but I do really love this kind of science fiction. Like I love these explorations into the unknown and the trying to depict something that is incomprehensible or like should not, is undepictable almost, which obviously comes with a lot of challenges. And as we've discussed, like I do think the film falls short on a couple of couple of notes, but overall I did think it was a work uh, it was a film that's uh definitely worth checking out if you're into sci-fi and yeah it's it's um it's definitely an interesting one to talk about. Yeah.
1: I'm looking forward to his upcoming film Men.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I saw the trailer and
1: just about how spooky men are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please check us out on our creator owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early. Right now, the best way you can get access to Nebula is by signing up for Curiosity Stream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more about that, just follow the link in the show notes, and we'll see you again next time.